Do you want to maximize your success with NCUA? Join Mark Trichel as he shares with you the insider's view on passing your exam with Flying Colors. The With Flying Colors podcast is sponsored by Credit Union Exam Solutions by Mark Trichel. If you would like to work directly with the Credit Union Exam Solutions team and receive support to optimize your results with NCUA so you save time and money, visit us at marktrichel.com to find out more. Hello, I'm Mark Trichel, and you are listening to With Flying Colors, the podcast where I interview subject matter experts to provide credit union leaders with tips on how you can achieve success with NCUA and pass your exam with flying colors. Today, I'm joined by Rick Mum to talk about field of membership and all things CURE related. Now, CURE stands for Credit Union Resources and Expansion. Rick, before we jump in, for people who are meeting you here for the first time, could you share a little bit about who you are and your career experience at NCUA? Okay, sure thing, Martin. Thank you. Yeah, I was uh, with NCUA, recently retired after about 34 and a half years. Right around 25 of those years, I worked in CURE or its predecessor offices in the regions, Division of Insurance, OCP, OCFPA, whatever the name was. And I started out in the Division of Insurance in Region 6 working on field of membership. So I've got well over 25 years of experience working with field of membership in originally Region 6, then Region 5, and then when they moved the Divisions of Insurance out of the regions into the central office for the whole nation through the central office. Very good. Do you remember what year was it that field of membership was centralized at NCUA? 2010. 2010. Uh, it was the end of 2010. It started in into 2010. All the regions were rolled into the central office the first of 2011. Right, right. I should remember that because before that, at that juncture, I was the regional director in Albany, New York, and field membership came up through me through that point in time. And then it was centralized with the concept of creating synergies by putting it all in one place. So Rick, you and I go back way back. We started at NCUA within a month or two of each other. And we went through new examiner training back when we were on G Street, uh, levels one through five. So from all the people at NCUA that I know, I've known you as long as just about anybody. And you you outlasted me there by a little bit more than a year, I believe, with your 35 years. But again, you and I go way back. We learned the nuts and bolts of how to do exams in training there. And it, it's great to have an opportunity to kind of pick your brain on field of membership and all things related to CURE. So with that, I'm going to uh, go ahead. Go ahead, Rick. Oh, no, I was going to say, yeah, you know, and that's true. And you were actually, you were my director of insurance for a short period of time when you were the director of special actions in Region 6. Yes, yes. They gave me double duty there for a while. That's when I started to learn a little bit about field of membership. And also, I learned at that time that I should rely on experts like you to get the job done as opposed to trying to learn it because it's so nuanced. And it's definitely one of those items that's more of an art than a science. So, yeah, that was my first foray, if you will, uh, was when I was acting as your supervisor then for a very short period of time. So we had a lot of fun back then. Sure did. So let's talk about 
all the things related to different field of membership and the things that Cure does. And of course, the first thing that would make sense to talk about would be field of membership. So as it relates to what you're doing now, you've talked about being retired. You're now consulting. And so let's talk about field of membership and maybe a little bit about you know your consulting business. And then we'll kind of walk through different services you might offer. Okay. Field of membership encompasses a wide range of areas. It, you know, it includes new charters. It includes adding groups, whether it's an occupational or associational. It's a community there. You've got narrative communities. You've got statistical communities. You have previously approved communities. There's underserved areas. There's TIPS, which is a form of a single common bond based on an occupation, trade, or a profession. So, so the field of membership it also includes conversions to and from Fed, to and fr- charter, to and from federal or private insurance. So there, it encompasses a wide range of everything that a credit union needs to do to be able to reach out and serve its members and how it will serve, serve its members. So of all those different nuances of types of field of membership, I'm going to ask you a follow-up question here. So low, uh, so the tips, the trade industry and professions, why do you think there are not a lot of trade industry and profession credit unions? And then the flip side of that, when you retired from NCUA and were last working in field of membership, what was the most frequent type of field of membership that would come across your desk? Okay. Yeah, the trade industry and profession, I, I think why I think there's not a lot of them is they're very specialized and there gets to be a lot of legal nuances on how to define a trade industry or profession. So, you know, we've done, when I was there, I did one trade tip and that took over a year to get it approved just because they're trying to, general counsel is trying to define the trade, you know, in the most succinct way you could. So vast majority of all tips are industry tips, which, you know, would like airline, police, healthcare, which are easier to define, but, you know, those take a while to get approved also. So I think, so just to come up with a new tip to get it approved takes a while you know, to get through the legal side of it. Then once it's approved, you're, you know, on the industry side, anybody can apply for the same tip. So, you know, the first, the first one's the pioneer, so to speak, gets all the arrows and the tip gets approved and anybody else can pick it up. So healthcare is very popular. So as an example is you can get other credit unions, will get the healthcare tips, but then Tips are, healthcare tips are only good for occupation. So you can go around to any of the healthcare providers, but if there's a healthcare association that you also want to serve, you can't because a tip is occupational. It's not associational. So I think it's kind of limiting and in that respect. So a lot of credit unions haven't tried to adopt a tip like you would have thought they would. I think that's my thought on on that. And so 
And because they can't use the association, th- this is one of those, those subtle nuances that because you're an expert and know the stuff backwards and forwards, because, because a tip couldn't has to be linked to an occupation and can't have those associations, someone might not want to convert when they realize that because they've already got some associations in their field of membership that they don't want to give up. Am I interpreting that right? That's correct. You know, because like, I remember this is, you know, a long time ago, a credit union converted to serve the insurance industry. And after they converted, they would been serving the insurance industry. They came back in and wanted to add some association that dealt with insurance agents or whatever. And we had to tell them that, no, you, you can't because that, that's an association and we can't mix and match. So, you know, they stayed the, the tip for the insurance industry. But, you know, I know they think, if I recall right, that they wrote couple letters to board members or or something to try to get that changed so that they could add associations, which you still can't. So because it is an association, not an occupational group, so that doesn't fit for a tip. Okay, great. And which type of field or membership gets requested the most by credit unions at this time and day? Probably, I would say underserved areas are getting, you know, a, a lot of a lot of interest from multiple common bond credit unions because those right now are the only ones that can add an underserved area. I know that's one of the changes, proposed changes. The agency would like all the charters to be able to serve underserved, but right now it's just limited multiple common bonds. But that was a very that's a very popular field of membership addition. You know, there's some community expansions because. You know, credit unions that expanded their community way back when the board expanded, changed definition of the community and how big they can. So, you know, some community credit unions have gone back and tried to expand what they've already have. And then I know before I left, we were, you know, conversions from Fed to state, you know, that seems like that's a steady stream. It doesn't really seem to go away a whole lot. Sure, sure. Well, and, and you mentioned the agency would like to have low-income designations be available for all types of field of membership, which, of course, would require a change to the Federal Credit Union Act. And that's one of those topics that the trade groups, the Credit Union National Association or CUNA and the National Association of Federal Credit Unions or NAFQ are all on the same page. All three of NCUA and the two two major trade groups would also like to see that happen. It's not always that NCUA and the trade groups are on the same page. They can be at times, but in this instance, they are on that same page. So anything else relative to low-income designations and the, and the services you might offer relative to low-income designations? Um, well, low-income designation and underserved are two different things. Well, so... see, that's where, that's where I get, you know, that's why I don't do field of membership. So clarify that here. Okay, underserved area is the designation or whether it qualifies is through the CDFI or Community Development Finance Institution. I'm, you know, I'm not really sure what that stands for, to be honest. It's just CDFI. They determine the criteria if an area qualifies as underserved or not. And then it is a, the actual serving of the underserved area is a community based type field of membership. Typically, 
it's at the census tract level. And so a, a lot of underserved areas are based on census tracts. Low income, that is an NCUA designated designation, and that's based on the credit union's field of membership. And if more than 50% plus one of their field members meet the low income designation of basically median family income is under 80% of the national median family income, then you can get the low income designation, which then affords you additional, some benefits like there's no limit on business loans. You can take more non-member deposits. That gives you access to some grants, some loans, and also helps you to get a, a certified as a CDFI credit union through the CDFI, which then gives you access to whatever programs they have for their, their institutions. That helps clarify. One more follow-up on that. And the, the low-income designation also provides the opportunity to get secondary capital, correct? Correct. Got it. And that's correct. That, that's a big addition. And there's a lot of credit unions out there taking advantage of that. So correct. And on I should say that the underserved, you have to apply for it. Whereas the low income designation, NCUA after each exam credit unions provide their membership information during exams and that gets uploaded to the system, NCUA runs that member information through a geocoding software. And if it shows that you qualify as low income, but do not have the designation, you will get a letter asking if you want the designation. So though a credit union can request it at any time if they don't have it, there is some, you know, the agency will reach out to the credit unions to see if you want the designation. So Rick, on that, so if the agency does that as part of the exam and then sends a letter saying, hey, the results reveal that you qualify for low income designation, how does that As a consultant in what you're doing, if that's automatically done in the exam prices, how would what you do fit into that? Well, that's a good question. Because not only do you get the letter saying you automatically qualify, if you no longer qualify, you'll get a letter saying you no longer qualify, and then you've got five years to fix that, to qualify. So, you know, I can help with that if you get that kind of letter or also if you want the designation but during the exam you don't qualify and but you want the designation you know I can help discuss ways that and look at your member data to see how close are you and suggest possible ways that you can get your percent up over 50 so you do qualify. Got it. So NCUA and the exam process can can qualify you, but there are other methods and ways to measure it that you can help credit unions potentially achieve the low income designation when the NCUA doesn't automatically anoint that. Got it. Yep, correct. So you also assist in in merger packages, I believe. Could you talk through that a little bit? Yes. Uh, when you want to Merge and merging is very popular. You know, I think just since we started, more than half the credit unions are gone. Because I think when we started, there was 
but over 12,000 and now there's what under five? Six, yes, I think like those, that. Are, those numbers are roughly correct. Yes. So there's a couple part process when you go through a merger is the regions process all the mergers, but the field of membership has to go to cure to be reviewed before the region will process the merger. So you send in a merger package to the region and then the region will send that merger to Cure to say, are these field of memberships compatible? And then Cure will come back and say yes or no. And if the answer is yes, then the region processes the merger packet and it goes from there. If the answer is no, then you have to, if you wanted to merge, you have to conform the field of memberships for both credit unions so you can still merge or you just say, okay, you know, this was a nice idea, but, you know, we can't conform them for whatever reason and we'd just rather not. So I can help with determining if the field of memberships are compatible and how to get them compatible if they're not upfront before the mergers ever submitted to the region or, and once you've gone through that process, you know, I can also assist in putting together the actual merger application and sending it to the region. Okay, great. And of course, when we're talking mergers, this would be with the surviving credit union being a federal charter, because if a federal was going to merge into a state charter, it's the state field of membership rules that would rule. Correct. Correct. Yes. Thank you for that clarification. Yes. You got it. The continuing is the federal, then yeah, the field of memberships have to conform. If the continuing is a state, then from the federal side, they do not, you know, they're still going to have to meet whatever various states, whatever requirements they may or may not have. Got it. Now, one other category of mergers you did not mention is emergency mergers. And this would be a scenario where the compatibility issues that you raised are negated by it being quote unquote an emergency, which essentially is that what that the emerging credit union is in danger of insolvency. And because of that, the NCUA has the ability to merge incompatible or not compatible fields of membership because the theory is that that reduces the cost to the insurance fund. Is that a type of merger that you also work on? You know, I could if they want assistance. Usually, if it is an emergency merger, just like you said, their field of memberships, all compatibility rules are waived. You know, just like you said, as a way to reduce the overall insurance cost to the fund, you know, they waive that requirement. So any credit union can merge into any credit union, regardless if they're field of memberships are compatible or not. Also on emergency merger, usually those are dictated or helped along by the region or the exam staff because they are in danger of insolvency in that. So there's from a consulting standpoint, there there's you know, there's not as much as you can do with those because the merging does have to be in danger of insolvency. It or insolvent. The region is usually right there. They're finding, in many cases, the merger partner. In some, but not all cases, may even have to go out and put that out for bid. So that's the one clear- something that lends itself. That makes sense. The one situation in danger of insolvency 
the definition has broadened over time to the point where you can be, I think, maybe 24 or 36 months away from insolvency and actually be considered with trends and different things. There's analysis that can get done that would show it. However, you're right that that's typically something that the region would be pretty, pretty closely involved with. So that's a great point. So let's segue out of mergers into bylaws. There's standard bylaws, there's non-standard bylaws. So relative to bylaws, is that something that you do work on for credit unions? Yes. And I will help credit unions with bylaws and do bylaw amendments. It was actually before I left, I was probably the main bylaw expert in Cure and how that happened, who knows, but uh, (laughs) somehow it did. In fact, the last version of the bylaws that the board passed in uh, that went into effect in what 2020 is I was an integral part in the writing of that that bylaw set because it it came out of a bylaw committee that I was part of back in 2013, 14, somewhere in there, where there was discussions with the industry on what they wanted in the bylaws, and so I was part of that and our group wrote the bylaws and for whatever reason those bylaws just before they're ready to get go to the board I don't know if there was fighting between the board members or what but they never went they got pulled and then when the board finally revisited it they basically took those same bylaws dusted them off and that's added a few changes and that's what got approved so really happy that our group's efforts did not go in vain but yeah, the so helping with bylaw amendments and letting, you know, pretty help them with what is a bylaw amendment, what would get approved as one, what is not. You know, there's a lot of good bylaw amendments out there that people want, but there's also credit unions want to you know, everyone has their own writing style and writing preferences. You know, every time there was a new regional director or whatever, you know, the region would have to change, you know, to regional director's writing preference. And it's no different with boards or credit unions. They don't like the language in the bylaws all the time, but they don't realize is the bylaws a regulation that the board wrote. And while most regulations can do nothing, you can't change it, you can't request a change, the board has allowed changes credit unions the opportunity to change their bylaw or change that part of the regulation. But it has to be a meaningful change and not just, you know, we don't like a comma here, there shouldn't be one, or, you know, we want to make it more generic or whatever. You know, those types of changes are, you know, wording or substance changes that aren't aren't allowed, that, you know, are not going to get approved. So, you know, I can go through and, and help credit unions let them know, okay, you know, that's just a substance, a non-substance change for wording that you want that's not likely to get approved versus, okay, here's a amendment that you want that is legitimate and has would have a much better chance of getting approved. Got it. Yeah, I would call that changing happy to glad. That's not something that you're going to get into a bylaw that would get approved. So, okay, got that. So any other things that you're doing out there for credit unions at this juncture? New charters, you know, somebody recently reached out to do a new charter. I can assist in that or, you know, at least start out and look at what you have to see if I think, you know, you've got a chance to be chartered, you know, get over the preliminary questions before 
you know, you go in and spend years and find out you're never going to get chartered. So I can assist with that. And I haven't really done anything. Something else would be like share insurance questions. I haven't really done anything with that yet. But, you know, that's a possibility if someone, you know, just wants, you know, some guidance or, you know, just to go over how share insurance works with their staff or something. That's something I'm, you know, willing to do. So that would be like a training on share insurance. Got it. So Rick, with the background you have and you're new to this consulting thing just because you recently retired, but you got a lot of expertise, what would you say differentiates you from what others might be able to offer in this arena? That's a great question, Mark. Thanks. Yeah, I've been on working with Field of Membership since the early 90s when a large credit union converting to a, com- or a large community was 50000 and it had to be approved by the NCUA board. Now you have communities that, you know, if you can prove it, there is no population limit, basically. So, you know, I, so I've seen, kind of grew up with build a, build a membership from when, you know, as an analyst, I processed groups, whereas now, you know, groups are processed online. So, you know, I've, I processed the first tip in the agency when we got that ability in 1999. I probably, I processed the first underserved agent, first underserved application that our Region 6 did. And it was probably one of the first processed in the, the nation. So I've talked to board members. I've talked to board member assistants or briefed them. I've been in board meetings. I've reviewed hundreds, if not thousands of packages. I know what to look for, what works, what doesn't work. I can better focus on, okay, what should and shouldn't be in the package. And I'm not, you know, you're not wasting a lot of time just throwing a lot of mud in a package where half of it isn't even relevant. And you continually go back and forth with Cure to get what there needs to be. You know, I know what Cure's looking for, what holds things up, what doesn't and can be able to say, hey, you know, you can do that, but, you know, you're going to add, you know, another two, three months onto the package, or we can do this and it'll get, you know, approved a lot faster. You know, I recently helped with a conversion from state to Fed, and they were wanting to, you know, include a lot of groups for as part of their multiple common bond. And, you know, I told them, you know, you can do that, but it's a lot more efficient if you just convert with two groups and then everything else after that so that the application gets approved, goes through much faster than having to go through and sift through all of these groups. So, you know, I, I know little tricks and what to look for versus, you know, all the other consultants. Nobody else has worked for NCUA or not in a capacity of processing actual packages, seeing them when they come in and they're lousy and you have to clean it up to make it acceptable. So, you know, I know what a clean package looks like that won't need a whole lot of cleaning up or changes for it to be approved. So I think that what makes me a little different than some of the other ones is they may have processed a lot of packages, but they haven't, they've never sat on the other side and actually reviewed a package that came in and had to Know, make sure that the package was good and conformed with NCUA requirements before it could get approved. 
that's a great answer, Rick. It's, you know, you, you've walked the walk. It's 25 years of doing field of membership. You've forgotten more things about field of membership than I've ever known, but you can put an efficient, sounds like you can put an efficient package together because you know what's going to fly when it goes in. So you can, that's going to help with the timeline. That's going to help with, you know, putting a lean and mean package in because of credit union being able to take advantage of your 25 years of experience on this. So Rick, this was great. I want to thank you for being my guest today. And lastly, if a credit union wants to reach out to you and get in touch with you about the services you provide, how would you like them to do that? They can send me an email to info, I-N-F-O at rcuservices.com. That'd probably be the best way. Okay, great. And I will put that email in the show notes for this episode. And speaking of episodes, I listen to a lot of different podcasts. And one of my favorites, at the end of the show, they have follow-up questions that were derived from previous episodes. And it's possible that something that I said here today or that Rick said will trigger a question that you have to drill down into one of the topics we talked about. If you have such a question, I'd like you to reach out to me and provide that. And perhaps we can do a follow-up question, just show just on that question. And you can reach me to do that at my email address, which is cuexamsolutions at marktrichel.com. I'll repeat that, cuexamsolutions at marktrichel.com. Or you can track me down via my website, which is www.marktrichel.com. All right, folks, that's it for today. I'm Mark Trichel, and I hope you would join me again next time for With Flying Colors. Thank you for joining us on this episode of With Flying Colors. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app to hear future episodes where subject matter experts of all varieties will provide tips on how to achieve success with NCUA. If you would like to learn more about how we assist credit unions, check out our services at marktrichel.com. 